0: Well, good morning again, it's good to see you all. And I'm excited to um, celebrate Christmas with you guys on Friday night, right? Christmas Eve, 4.30 and six, and you're gonna come prepared to deliver some donuts afterwards, right? Uh, we take donuts to people that are working on Christmas Eve. It's one of my favorite things that we do all year. Uh, so we have 150 dozen donuts to deliver, so come and be ready to help uh, with that, it's a great time. And then uh, reminder again, next Sunday, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. So for those of you that um, typically stroll in around 1045, that's 945 for you, 945 next Sunday. And uh, we'll worship together just in one service. So uh, we're continuing in our Advent series, The Power of Small, and we're gonna talk about small people today. Not, not like little people, but like small us. Us, we are small people. Uh, when we think about yourself in the, the story of human history, what, what is it that you bring to the table? What, what does your chapter look like? Do you even get a chapter in that story? I think most of the time, we, we don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves as people who are gonna be remembered, people who are gonna make a difference and, and, and change the world, right? But I think we all want to do something meaningful with our lives, don't you? Don't, don't you wanna find meaning in, in your work or in raising your family or in loving people well? We all want to find something meaningful to do. And yet I think we wrestle with this self-doubt that says, am I, really, am I really enough to do something meaningful in the world? Am I smart enough? Am, am I influential enough? Am I talented enough? Am I respected enough? Do I, do I have enough integrity and character to really do something meaningful? When, when we're really honest with ourselves, often we think the answer to that is no, I'm not, I'm not enough to do something meaningful. And, and so we struggle with finding joy and happiness, honestly, because I'm convinced the way Scripture lays things out for us that as we follow Jesus, we find joy in the meaningful work that God gives us. But when we sort of check out of that and say, ah, I'm not really smart enough, I'm not knowledgeable enough, I'm not, I'm not good enough to work with God, we, we remove ourselves from a pathway to joy. So today what we want to see is that there are people, small people, that... that In the grand scheme of things, I mean, their stories are pretty insignificant, but yet God invites them into something big, something that he's doing. So we're gonna start by reading the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew chapter one. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to that with me. In Matthew chapter one, there's um, this list of names. And so most of us, when we come to a list of names like this, we sort of like skip to the end, right? Because it's, we can't pronounce them anyway, and it's kind of boring, and so we just skip to the end of the list of names and pick up at the interesting parts, right? But today we're going to read through, actually, we're not going to read because reading is boring. So what we're going to do is sing through, we're going to sing through uh, Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus. If you're a guest here, I just want to apologize for what's about to happen. (laughs) And uh, you'll understand why in just a minute. What are you doing? Oh my gosh. I have groupies. Just keep it together, will you? All right. Stop it. So, Matthew chapter one, you're all going to follow along, right? The words are right there. It's really easy. And you guys are going to behave. Judah and his kin Well then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar Perez he brought Hezron up and then Aram then a man of then Ashan who was then the dad of Salmon Who with Rahab father Boaz Who she married Boaz Who had Obed Who had Jesse Yes, he, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon, by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Uzziah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz and Hezekiah. Who had Amon, who was man, Who was father of a good boy named Josiah Who grandfathered Jehoiakim? Who caused the Babylonian captivity Because he was a liar Then he had Shealtiel Who begat Zerubbabel Who had Abiyad Who had Eliakim Eliakim had Azar, who had Zadok, who had Acham. Acham was the father of Eliab then. He had Eleazar, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely. I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ. Merry Christmas. (laughs) So the point is (laughs) that you never have to worry about me leading worship here. And genealogies are not boring. So next time you come across a genealogy in scripture, just sing it, and then you're engaged. You're right there in it. Because there are some significant names in this genealogy. There are some... people that should not be here, right? So for the Jews, like it was a really big deal for them to be able to track their ancestry back to Abraham or to the, the 12 sons of Jacob, right, the 12 tribes. And so people like wore that as a badge, like I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, I'm from the tribe of Judah. That, that was something they took pride in. And if they could track their lineage back and come across names like David and Solomon, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. That just kind of makes you feel special and important. And so when God's putting together the genealogy for his son, Jesus, what kind of people does he wanna put in there? I mean, you saw David and Solomon, right? Those are, those are pretty big deal uh, names. But you also saw some names like Rahab and Bathsheba and Ruth and Tamar. And you're like, who are, who, are these, who are these ladies? They don't usually put ladies in the genealogy. Who are these people? Why are they in here? So let's take a look at a couple of these and kind of understand like, How God takes these small people and He invites them into the story of what He's doing in the world, and it brings great joy to them. So Rahab, first of all, is uh, not the girl you want your son to bring home. Okay, she is a prostitute at a military outpost called Jericho. She's a a pagan; she worships false gods, and yet somehow her name gets in here. How does she get in here? She's not a descendant of Abraham at all. She's she's not from one of the twelve tribes. She's from a foreign nation. How does she get in on the list? Well, when the Israelites are kind of knocking on the door of Jericho, she's heard stories about the God of the Israelites, and she believes them, every single one of them. She's heard about how God has provided for his people miraculously in the desert. She's heard stories about other armies that have come in contact with God's people, and they couldn't stand against them. And so when the spies, Joshua sends some spies in to spy out Jericho, and they... They're being chased through the city. It's kind of a pretty exciting story. And she says, Hey, I'll hide you. Why don't you guys come hide here in my place? And I'll tell the, I'll tell the law enforcement guys that that I don't that you went somewhere else. You know, he went that way. Because she's convinced that the God of the Israelites is like the best God. Like He's 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 the one who, who is who He says He is, and He does what He says He will do. And it says that she she feared God. And so here's here's how she gets in: Joshua 6:25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So this this prostitute who's not really, I mean, like she doesn't know the ABCs of the Bible at all. She just knows that God is real, that he's good and she believes him, right? And she gets invited into this story. She becomes an Israelite. She's sort of adopted into the family from the outside this small person who should have been insignificant, should have been just a footnote, and she gets her name in the genealogy of the son of God. It's remarkable. Let's look at another name that shows up in this story, the name of Ruth. You're familiar with Ruth, maybe, because she gets her own book of the Bible, right? That's pretty cool. She's, she's, a, she's a big deal, right? She must have been from one of the 12 tribes, right? She must have been from one of the big, you know, Judah. She must have been from one of those. No, Ruth wasn't an Israelite at all. She, she was a Moabite. She was from a different country as well. She was brought up to worship pagan gods, false gods, but she marries an Israelite and she gets connected with, with her husband's family and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Her mother-in-law uh, is a widow and then Ruth's husband dies and there are these two widows and they're just kinda, they're just kinda left there on their own in, in a foreign country. And, and widows didn't, didn't do well. If, if, if a woman in this ancient culture wasn't attached to a patriarch of some kind, a, a guy who had some land and power and money, they had no way to provide for themselves. They, they, couldn't even, they couldn't even eat, they couldn't get jobs. So the goal is, Naomi has to go back to her hometown and find a way to get restored and just, just pray that God works out a miracle. And she tells Ruth, you, you should just go home to your people. Your people will take care of you. I'll, I'll figure something out. Here's what Ruth says in Ruth chapter 1. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So Ruth makes this declaration of devotion to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and to Naomi's God. She said, there's something about your God, I just believe him. And Ruth gets involved in this story. She ends up meeting Boaz. She and Boaz get married. They have a son. And the son is not called Ruth's son. It's called Naomi's son. Because by having this son, Naomi is now restored into the Israelite community. She has a patriarch in Boaz. And she has a place and she can be cared for and provided for. And then the son of Ruth and Boaz becomes the grandfather of a guy named David, the giant killer and the king. These insignificant people who should never have been a part of the story. They weren't even people of the covenant, right? But they get adopted into the family of God because they have these steps of faith, these small actions that they take that demonstrate that they trust God. They trust him to be who he says he is, and they, they find joy in this journey. And so that brings us to uh, Luke chapter 1. And, and Mary, we're gonna talk about Mary and her, her role in, in the story of God. When we think about Mary, we don't think about a small person. We think about a pretty, pretty significant person, right, in, in all of this story, because she becomes the mother of Jesus. I mean, that's a big deal, right? But before all of that, she was not an influential, powerful person. She's just a teenage girl who's engaged in trying to figure life out. Let's, let's read some about Mary's story from Luke chapter one. We'll start in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her 6th month for no word from God will ever fail. person who when the angel says hey greetings you who are highly favored hey, God God likes you God thinks you're something and Mary's like what me like I'm I'm nobody why would God think something of me. I don't, she, it didn't make sense to her. She couldn't process that. The angel said, just don't, don't worry about it. This is gonna happen and God's chosen you and you're invited into this story. And, and her response is just faithful submission, just trust, may it be to me. May it be to me. She says, I, if, if I can be a channel through which God does something good in the world, great, take it. My life is yours. That's her response. And that, that's an incredible Response, Because when we think about it, like that's the opposite of how our culture talks about the path to happiness. The path to happiness is I I need to hold on to my freedom and my rights. I I need to have the opportunity to do and be whatever I want to do and be in the world, right? And the worst thing you can do is tell someone not to follow their heart, right? Don't follow your heart, don't follow your dreams. Like you can't tell people that, right? I, I don't think this was Mary's, vision of a a great future was to become an unmarried pregnant teenager. I don't think that was her vision of how that was going to work out. It surely wasn't the vision her parents had for her, right? So she's not following her heart here. And and, and our culture would say, well, you can't be happy that way. The the, the way to happiness is is, is to follow your heart, be be who you want to be, do what you want to do. And yet Mary's choice is to lay down her freedom lay down her rights, and submit. Be obedient to what God has, has called her and invited her into. And what is the result of this for Mary? Well, she, she's so happy about being a part of this that she just kind of bursts out into song. This is, this is kind of the Bible's version of freestyle rap. She just, she just lays it out there in this song that starts in verse 46. Just ch- check out what's flowing out of Mary's heart. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So she just kind of bursts out in a song here, and the theme of her song is God pays attention to the people that no one else pays attention to. God invites the people that no one else would invite. God works with the people that nobody else wants to work with. That's the theme of her song. And she's so excited that she gets to be one of those humble, Insignificant, small people—that's invited into the big story of redemption that God is playing out right in front of her. And we kind of look at that and we go, "Wow, well, that was great for her, man, Mary. That's awesome that she got to do that." But the story of the New Testament will tell us that just like Mary and Joseph, you and I are invited to participate in what God is doing in the world. Here's how Paul says it in Second Corinthians chapter four. Verse seven, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul says, hey, you and I, we're, we're not that big a deal. Paul even said that about himself, the greatest missionary the world has ever known, first church planter, kind of a big deal guy. I'm nothing. I'm just a, I'm a clay jar. What happens if you drop a clay jar? It breaks. What happens if it sticks around too long? It's going to crack. It's going to f- leak. It's going to be faulty. And he says, we're, we're nothing. And yet God put this incredible power in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. The power to participate with God in what he's doing in the world. It's not our power. It's not because we are, and it's not because we're awesome. It's because he's awesome. And he's invited us to participate in what he's doing in the world. You and I have an invitation like Mary got to participate in what God is doing, his big story in the world. And this is where our thoughts start to defeat us again and we go, "But yeah, I'm not I'm, I don't know enough Bible verses. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not really that good of a person. I mean, you don't really even want me to be honest about my thoughts and actions in the last week. Like, I'm 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 not enough for this." And we need to realize who we're arguing with when we make those claims. We're arguing with our creator who has said, "I know you. I know you better than you know yourself." I knew Rahab, and I knew Ruth, and I knew Mary, and I know you, and you're invited. Despite all of your flaws and weaknesses, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world, and and this, in fact, is the path to joy. Our culture tells us a different story, doesn't it? We, we, gotta, we gotta hold on, you know? We gotta hold on to our freedoms and our rights and, and, and we gotta express those and we, we gotta fight for them. We can't let anybody take those away from us and, and the message of the gospel is we gotta let go. We gotta let go of all that because in submission to God is where we find joy. It's where we get invited into meaningful work. It's where we find things to do that matter in the world around us. So I want us to explore a few ideas for how we can experience the joy of Advent season this year and participate in the work that God has invited us into. So we're going to start by celebrating what God has done. We're going to look back and and take some time to think about what, what has God done to get you to this point, to bring you to where you are? What are the good things that God has brought into your life? Whenever I think about uh, my, my journey and how I, how, I, how I got to where I am, I, I always remember a lady named Hazel Zook. Hazel Zook worked at Johnson uh, University as the financial, what was her title, birth star? I don't know. She had a title. It was something. She was the lady who figured out how much you owed and how are you gonna pay to, in order to keep going to college here. And Hazel and I got to know each other really well because every semester we would sit down and have a pretty long conversation that would start with, um, how are you gonna pay for school next semester? And the answer was always, uh, I have no idea. I have no, I have no money, I have nothing, I don't know. I have no idea. And she would say, all right, well then let's figure it out. And so she just, she sort of bent some rules and she sort of like dug in every nook and cranny of scholarship money that was out there. And she extended like, you're only supposed to work a certain number of work study hours. Um, and she like bent that rule. So I worked more work study hours than I was supposed to. So I could, that money could go to my bill. And I graduated after four and a half, five years, don't matter. Um, with less than $4,000 in student loans because Hazel just bent over backwards for me. And, And I know she did that for other people too, but it made me feel so important. It made me feel so special. It made me feel like I'm supposed to be here. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just think about things like that, that God just showing up through different people. You guys have never heard of Hazel Zook until today, but she changed my life, right? Man, God has done that for me over and over and over again. He's done it for you and he's doing it through you. So I wanna, I wanna just take a moment to think about what God has done for you. Can we pause? And, and you can start with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross because that was, that was for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So let's start with that and then just work your way forward to the present day and think about the things. If you were gonna say thank you to God for all the things he's done, what would be on that list? Just take a minute. Let's, let's process that for a minute. Take some time, maybe close your eyes and let's think through that. Has God been good to you? And it brings me joy just to, just to be aware of that, just to recognize it, to remember it, to acknowledge it, that these were things that were not, not things that I deserved, not things I earned. It was just acts of love from a father who wants a relationship with me. Next, I want us to turn our attention to what God is going to do, what God is going to do. So God fulfilled a promise in bringing Jesus. That's what Advent is all about: is the fulfillment of these promises that bring joy and peace and purpose into our world. But He hasn't yet fulfilled all of His promises. There's still a promise out there that we're waiting to be fulfilled. That there's a new creation coming, and then, and how we've kind of traditionally talked about this is heaven, right? And and the way that I kind of grew up learning about heaven. Um, did not get me that excited about going to heaven, to be honest. So, the, like, there's the the streets of gold thing. I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. I've never even seen gold. I'm sure that I'm sure streets of gold are awesome. And then it was it was explained to me at some point, like, oh, heaven's like just an eternal worship service. And I was like, Ooh, okay, I I have some spiritual maturing to do before I'm excited about an eternal worship service, guys. Because I like oh, I, I enjoy our worship time. I I also enjoy that it ends. I, so like I'm. <laughs> Sorry, this is something your preacher's not supposed to say. Okay, write that down, uh, burn it, forget about it. But some of you agree with me. But as I started to read through scripture and understand what it really says about the new creation, the eternal worship service thing is not, not there. It's, it's new creation. It's sort of like the new and improved Garden of Eden where, where human beings get to live in relationship with one another and in relationship with God, we have good work to do. And it's all without all of the garbage that sin and death bring into the world. The, the new creation is the place where there's human society in which every single individual is always submitted to the authority of a good and loving God. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound amazing? No, no war, no violence, no crime, no cancer, no COVID, no tears, just, just people living and working and enjoying life together in the presence of their creator. Man, guys, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I, I'm, you know, whenever, whenever my time comes, I'm, I'm ready for that, that sounds, fantastic. And it brings me joy to think that God, God knows what I need and what I want, and he has prepared a place for me to get to experience life the way I was created to experience life without all the junk that sin has brought into my life. And I'm excited about that. So look forward. What, what are you hoping God will do? What do you believe that he has promised to provide? And take a minute and just think about what you're looking forward to. brings joy to our hearts to look back and see what God has done, to look forward and think about what he's going to do. And so what do we do in this moment? We say yes to his invitation. God has invited you to participate in his work of the kingdom. He's invited you just like he invited Rahab and Ruth and Mary and all the other names that, that you can read about in scripture who participated in the work of God. They were all small people that God used to be a part of a big story. So I just wanna give a few ideas about how we can take some steps to say yes to God's invitation. And I believe that this is meaningful work and I believe that meaningful work produces joy. Meaningful work produces joy. So uh, here's just, just one idea. Sacrifice some of your time for someone who needs some attention, right? I, I think it's easy uh, for us to kind of Stay focused on ourselves and our own needs. I mean, we've got needs and we've got, you know, things that we deal with and mental health struggles and all of that stuff. And sometimes we forget to really look at the people around us. And friends, there are some lonely, isolated people around you. There's some people that just need a friend, somebody to talk to, somebody to spend some time with them. Could you, could you give some time to somebody in your world that's just lonely this week? That is meaningful work. That is Christ-like work, and I believe that it will bring you joy if you do that. Second idea is uh, take a step to repair a broken relationship. Is there a relationship in your life that's just not right? There's, there's something between you and this person, and you care about them, but something's broken. And our step in repairing that is, has to go both ways to get fully restored, but our step usually involves either asking for forgiveness or forgiving. So is, is there someone in your life that you need to go and, and say, I, I, I know what, I, I did something that hurt you and I would like to ask you to forgive me for that and, and take your step in healing that relationship or maybe you, you need to be able to say proactively, like hey, you did something that hurt me and I just want you to know I forgive you and I'm, I'm moving on, I'm letting go of that because I, I value you more than I value holding on to this thing. Could you take a step? And restoring a relationship, man, that is meaningful work. That is Jesus-centered work. That's the kind of work that that Jesus is about all the time is restoring broken relationships. He started with our broken relationship with God. He restored it. He made it whole. And he invites us to do that with each other. Seek forgiveness or ask for forgiveness. And finally, um, tell someone this week why Christmas matters to you. Tell someone why Christmas matters to you. You're gonna have conversations. You've been having conversations for the last couple of weeks. You know, you run into people and you're like, hey, what are you guys doing? You ready for Christmas? And are your kids ready for Christmas? And what are you guys doing for Christmas? What are your Christmas plans? Maybe in one of those conversations, you could just pause for a second and say, guys, I, I, I love Christmas. Let me, can I tell you why I love Christmas so much? And you could share with him about what the advent of Jesus means. Like the fact that God became a person, like he, he moved in t- among us, like he became one of us so he could reveal himself to us so that eventually Jesus could die for us and rise from the dead. Like, guys, Christmas is just this, the beginning of this gospel redemption thing that God did, and it's, it's, it's awesome, and I love it. If you could tell somebody that, man, you could, you could bring some joy into somebody else's life. That's, that's being salt and light in a world that, that needs the hope of Christ, Right? Some of you are thinking like, well, what does Christmas mean to me? I haven't really thought about that. Maybe today is the day. You sit down with your family over lunch and you say, all right, let's write it down. What, what does Christmas mean to us? If somebody asked us that, what would we say? And, and share that with somebody this week. When we get to celebrate what God has done, we find joy in that. We celebrate what God is going to do. We find joy in that. And we engage in the meaningful work God has invited us into. Are you smart enough? Are you talented enough? Are you good enough? Doesn't matter. You're invited. And you get to participate in what God's doing. That's that's the path to joy right there. Don't let the world tell you anything different. You're invited. God God is is still doing meaningful work all the time in the story of redemption. It's not over. There's still more people that are gonna be drawn to Christ and call him Lord. You get to be a part of that. We're gonna close with a word of prayer. I just just wanna invite you to pray with me uh, that you would find joy in what God's done you'd find joy in what he's going to do, that you would push back against the lies of the enemy that tell you you're, you're too small to participate in what God is doing, and you would find a way to participate with him this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just being good and loving us and inviting us in to this incredible story. Thank you for giving us so many reasons to have joy. My prayer is, Father, for me and for my brothers and sisters here this morning, that we would, we would lay down our, our freedoms and our rights and we would just submit to being the people that you've created us to be, to doing the work that you've given us to do. And as we do that, God, would you let us be salt and light in a way that people will be drawn to your son, Jesus. We give you glory for every good thing that comes from that, in Christ's name, amen.